Welcome to our podcast series on IT modernization in government, underwritten today by Alfresco. I'm your host, Wyatt Cash, and today we're talking about how open source enterprise platforms are improving agility and aiding digital transformation. And we're also going to explore how government agencies can take advantage of API and microservices strategies to increase reliability and security and deliver better value to citizens and employees. Our guests today are first Tony Franzanello, Vice President, Federal Sales at Alfresco. Tony has spent most of his career helping federal and defense agencies take greater advantage of analytic software and content management solutions for companies like IBM and Oracle before joining Alfresco. Tony, thanks for joining us today and welcome to the program. Thanks, Wyatt. Glad to be here and thanks for having me. Also joining us is Richard Bright, Senior Solutions Architect, supporting the U.S. General Services Administration's Chief Technology Officer. He currently leads the Technology Modernization Fund Application and Database Transformation Project, where a key focus area is to explore the use of open source database technologies to support legacy application backend services. Richard, welcome to the program. Thanks, Wyatt. It's great to be here. Great. Tony, let's start with you. There are different kinds of enterprise platforms available on the market. What makes an open source platform unique? Sure. That's a good question. You know, there's been a rise lately of what I would call the enterprise application platform, which are frameworks that offer both a development and a production environment. And they enable a standardized approach for the development and deployment of modern and engaging enterprise applications. They've been increasingly adopted over the last few years in consumer-oriented verticals like banking and retail. And now, over the last couple of years, this platform approach is being embraced by the departments and agencies in the federal space. You've got a range, or perhaps better put, a spectrum of platforms that are available. On one end, you have what are often called the low-code or no-code platforms that are geared towards the citizen developer that enable the creation of simpler and more cookie-cutter type applications. On the other hand, you have platforms that support code-intensive development environments and support the creation of very sophisticated and often one-off type applications. And there are trade-offs at either end of the spectrum. On the left side, we've got those low-code, sort of one-size-fits-all approach that are easier to use often, but they don't lend themselves to the development of really differentiated apps that enable true digital transformation. And on the Right-hand side, if you will, the platforms are enabling the most gifted developers out there, but they aren't catering necessarily to the majority of an enterprise's development team, which is really where you want to be and what you want to do. Uh, An open source platform can sit in the middle of that spectrum, and it can provide a platform that both engages the broader spectrum of developers and democratizes the application creation effort. This is the case because a good open source platform is designed and updated using the creative talents of a global open source community that itself spans the spectrum of those development personas. An open source platform is made for different developer types out there by the different developer types out there in the open source community, and it therefore can have the broadest appeal inside an organization. As a result, you get the greatest authentic user adoption, which is, again, what you're looking for. Uh, Richard, how might you characterize the extent to which government agencies are already using open source platforms? Yeah, thanks, Wyatt. That's, that's a good question. So the government has been moving towards open source for some time now. And really, the, the OMB M1621 comes to mind. That's the federal source code policy that was released in 2016. 
So the significance of this policy is that it set the precedence to encourage agencies to embrace open source software and the, the general open source community. So it really challenged agencies to not only think of themselves as a consumer of open source software, but also as a producer of open source software as well. Another important consideration, it started a pilot program that encouraged agencies to open source at least 20% of their code for any greenfield initiatives. And I define greenfield where that's where the government is developing a custom source code where an equivalent COTS or open source capability isn't readily available on the market. And GSA is at the forefront of embracing open source, to be honest, uh, which is really made possible through supportive leadership and policies of being open. Uh, so let me highlight a few examples of how we can quantify being open. If you look in GitHub today under GSA, you'll see almost 600 repos maintained by nearly 400 developers across 150 teams. And those are teams that are directly supporting dozens of government websites and information sharing initiatives across all of the federal government. So Richard, just to follow up on that, as government agencies look to modernize their IT, how can CIOs and their IT teams get the most from IT modernization by using an open source platform? Yeah, so that's another great question. As great as open source software is, one major consideration is that not all open source software is created equal. Agents really need to think about and have a common framework for which to assess these technologies prior to consideration in their technology stacks. And here are a few key factors agencies can consider. You could look at the level of support for the project by the open source community. Uh, you could do a quick Google searches to figure out the level of interest and how large of a following uh, these open source software has. Is the GitHub repo active or is there minimal activity uh, across a span of time? Uh, look at the project's maturity level and seek out relevant examples from industry and other government agencies where the technology is being used. You could look for conference engagements in other communities where these tools are featured. Is there a dedicated company committed to supporting and growing the application? And lastly, are professional services available? Oftentimes, that last point gets overlooked, but is definitely a necessity in times of need where you're trying to piece together multiple open source technologies to meet the agency's need. And there are a few key benefits of using open source software that I really want to emphasize. Reusability and product customization. So other government agencies can open the hood, look at the source code, and really customize it to their specific needs. Flexible usage and interoperability, which helps for quick prototyping and experimentation. Cost savings through not having to pay license fees. I mean, that's one of the big features of going to open source, especially in really fiscal constrained environments that some of these agencies are operating in. And lastly, the community involvement. You get the added value of continuous and broad peer review of the source code. What that translates to is bugs are found and patched, logical errors are corrected, new features are developed, and really all by a community of passionate technologists who believe in the value of community and open software. Well, Tony, let's talk a little more about how open source platforms are also being used to foster API and microservices strategies. And what should CIOs consider as they build out on those strategies? 
Sure. A couple of great questions. I'm glad you asked them. So first, a real quick history lesson. The concept and vision of microservices has been around for a while now. A couple of decades ago, the evolution of web services, business process management, and virtualization all came together to enable what we used to call services-oriented architectures and composite applications, first in banking, lending, and retail industries, and then in government as well. But recently, containerization and the continued democratization of software development, in part enabled by the platforms that we talked about earlier, has evolved and ushered us into the era of microservices. A good application platform will both foster and nurture API and microservices strategies by making the process of envisioning, designing, and deploying applications easier and accessible to a wider group of developers and actually architects alike. More people and more talents are now involved in an organization's digital transformation environment as a result. Regarding advice I'd give to CIOs and what they need to consider as they build out a microservices and API strategy, I think one main thought comes to mind here. I'd point out that although a good development platform can provide a set of easier buttons for a development team, I'd really caution against thinking there is a silver bullet or an easy button that can make the hard work of creating truly compelling modern applications disappear. Connecting a string of microservice pearls together to form a necklace is still going to require a lot of hard work, talent, and effort. And I'd really want to investigate what low-code and in particular no-code claims really mean. At the end of the day, a good platform is still enabling a development community that's using JavaScript, Angular, material design, perhaps viewer react, and connecting things. A platform doesn't eliminate the requirement for the talents and the skills and the training that goes into developing applications and microservices with those technologies. But what a platform does do is it allows for those development skills to shine brighter and to shine more quickly. Well, Richard, can you give our listeners uh, any practical examples of how these technologies are currently being put to work to deliver better services to end users? Yeah. So just building on what Tony was saying, I completely agree that microservices strategy is uh, it's, it's difficult. And especially if you're coming from the traditional SOA architecture and you have you know large monoliths in your organization and really trying to think through how to modernize that, whether you're breaking apart the application or trying to keep it together and eventually migrating to the cloud, let's say it's very difficult. But a microservices and an API strategy does do a few things for your organization. It supports smaller autonomous development teams. So if we think about the classical one to two pizza size development team, so we're breaking apart large support efforts and large development teams that are dedicated to specific functionality or perhaps O&M. So we're taking that and breaking it down and aligning people to certain functional areas. It enables scalable and resilient architectures that can be easily automated. It decouples application dependencies So organizations have hundreds of these applications, and in traditional architectures, there's direct database connections or direct calls to other applications. And what that means is on the weekends, when you're trying to deploy a large war file from dev test to production, there's a lot of dependencies there, and something is is liable to break. And you may not find out until Monday morning when services are back online. So what decoupling really allows you to do is just have small 
smaller, independent, autonomous sets of code where it's easily tested and automated and can be deployed in production much faster and easier. And it also removes redundant services as well. Uh, So for example, many of these applications perform the same function within each application. So like an accounts or a payable service that's duplicated in one to two or three applications throughout the agency, what microservices can do for you, you can pull out that specific service and create a generalized enterprise class service that could meet the needs of various services as opposed to duplicating it within several applications. And there are three key areas that come to mind that are essential uh, for a successful microservice strategy. You have to align people to business capabilities. You have to ensure the infrastructure and the architecture are robust, resilient, and available to support microservices. And then really you need to ensure there's a mature CIDC pipeline in place to support the full value stream of the business capabilities that you're supporting. Without these general things in place, it'll be very difficult for a very large traditional organization to adopt and migrate uh, microservices. Finally, gentlemen, uh, how does the adoption of open source enterprise platforms improve reliability and security? Tony, let's start with you. Sure. Interesting question. And I I think I'd like to start to answer it by looking at reliability and security as different sides of the same coin. In the federal space, applications in particular need to be counted on to be secure above perhaps anything else. They need to be reliably secure. And security isn't just about defending the perimeter. So for government CIOs evaluating a platform, you want to make sure that that platform is securely and reliably providing information governance throughout the life cycle of an application's content, that it provides standardized security and access control, version control, and workflow aligned to an organization's standard operating procedures. Additionally, there are, of course, security concerns that lie beyond information governance as it pertains to applications and application platforms. And an open source platform can more readily keep a pace with evolving security requirements, particularly in support of a microservices environment via its inherent embrace of open source and open standards. These work together to enable that decoupling element that Richard just talked about. And with decoupling, you can mix and match the best of breed security capabilities more readily and more easily. And this is particularly true, I'd note, for security along the lines of identity management and PII protection. And uh, Richard, any additional last thoughts? In general, agencies will get better site reliability if they're taking advantage of cloud services and DevSecOps and if they have a mature CI/CD pipeline in place. Also, open source code is generally extremely stable because there's more people supporting the source code from a very broad community. So as opposed to more of the proprietary software where a company could pivot and shift away from maintaining and developing a certain code base, with open source, you're more likely to get that long-term support that's required. I also want to stress just a couple of points regarding the security of open source. In open source, it's the code that's open and not the data. So in conversations with some folks, there's a hesitation to go to open source just because there's a misunderstanding there. But in actuality, having the, the code open, meaning the algorithms and the, the actual functions that the code is performing, it's a good thing. Uh, teams can independently assess whether functional problems exist in the algorithm and can make on-the-spot changes if needed. Uh, so that means bugs in the code and logical errors are more likely to get caught and fixed through open source 
as opposed to um, an organization who is servicing a specific user in the community. So because open source has a large community of support, it's a great platform to adopt and look to enable and integrate within your organization. Well, I'm afraid that's all we have time for today. Tony Franzanello and Richard Bright, thanks so much for joining us to talk about the growing importance of open source enterprise platforms for government agencies and how they look to modernize systems and improve the user experience for agencies, both for their employees and end users. And of course, we'd like to thank the folks at Alfresco for underwriting today's episode. Look for more of our coverage of digital transformation in government on fedscoop.com and statescoop.com. This is your host, Wyatt Cash. Thanks for tuning in.